You're tuning in to Luminal on the Wall. Welcome. I'm your host, Becky, and joining me always is my co-host and beautiful sister, Bevy. In our podcast, we will take a deep dive into the evil side of humanity. We will talk about suspicious deaths, shoddy investigations, and all the gory details in between. But be warned, we will not hesitate to call BS when we hear it. Which means, you may not always agree with us, but we promise to lay out the evidence so you can come to your own conclusions based on what is presented. Listener's discretion is advised. Hey, Becky. Hello, Beverly. I have a question for you today. You do? Yeah, because my buddy Kevin posed it to me Hmm. and we had an interesting and revealing discussion about it. He asked me, do you pee in the pool? Do you? No, I do not pee in pools. Same. I'm not a pool peer, but... He informed me that so many people are. Can you believe that? No. I think that's actually a little gross. I'm not actually surprised because there is something about being in water that makes you got to go pee. Makes you got to go. It's like, I just went, but somehow I still have to go again right away. Totally. And I mean, it is a little annoying getting in and out of the pool all the time. Taking off a wet bathing suit. Drying off before you... And then... You know, like sitting on the toilet after you pull your wet bathing suit off, like that is a gross feeling on its own. That is true. That is a gross feeling. I always kind of cringe at that. But I would still rather do all that than pee in a pool. Yeah. And it made me think how disgusting it will be to swim in a pool going forward. Like I really can't get it out of my mind. And apparently there's not just pool piers, Becky. There's lake piers, river piers. Ocean piers. In your bed piers. Well, I mean, that's a totally different thing. But yes, there's shower piers. Are you any of those? I occasionally pee in the shower. But it's like only when, you know, it's mandatory. Like you got soap in your hair and you really got to go. Right. Because otherwise you probably would just use the toilet. Yeah, I have been known to jump out of the the bath, the shower, and go to the bathroom on the toilet. Right. Wet. I don't know. I'm just not all about it. Okay, so I'm going to say this maybe, and I'm assuming you will not agree. I think if you are in a lake, a river, an ocean, and you really got to go, and there's not a bathroom like right, right there, or if it's an outhouse, I say just just pee there. That's okay with me. If it's a nice clean bathroom though, I would still rather use that. Yeah, then go pee in the lake or the river or the ocean. Exactly. So that's like my stance on peeing in water. Also, that movie Grown Ups ruined pool peeing. Or like even, you know, even if I took a chance, Mm -hmm. I would never because of that movie with that purple dye. Oh, yeah. No No, freaking way. You don't want to suffer the humiliation. Yeah. So no, thank you. Yeah. I think that was not that specific movie, but when I started hearing about that technology... 
I also was like, Mm-mm, no longer will it's I be a no a for me, dog. Here. I think it happened when I was pretty young. Either way, I know a lot of people are going to say the chlorine is like a disinfectant. It's fine. You can pee in pools and blah, blah, blah. I still think it's gross. I can't get over it. Can't get my head around that one. Anyways, oh. I think that's enough a pee talk for one day. That's right. Let's get into our story today, Beth. Let's do it. All right. Daniel Halseth was born on January 28, 1976 in Estacada, Oregon. Growing up on a farm, he was embraced by a loving family, and he had a natural talent for music and technology. He actively participated in church activities and displayed a knack for computers. In 1995, he attended Hood River Valley High School. However, as Daniel prepared to graduate, life dealt a harsh blow. His father passed away unexpectedly from a brain aneurysm. Oh no. So sad. So sudden. That's devastating. Mm-hmm. Undeterred by this tough break, Daniel channeled his inner resilience to keep his journey on track. In the year 2000, he dove into the world of higher education at Western Oregon University. Turns out, it wasn't just textbooks and lectures that caught his attention. He also managed to find his groove in music and even stumbled upon a future love story. Ooh, I love romance and love stories. Yes, you do. So while chasing his bachelor's degree in music, he also found a harmonious connection with his future wife, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth had grown up in a fairly verbally abusive family, but she managed to excel despite her family's situation, and she became both a model and a member of the JROTC. That's the Junior Reserve Officer Training Corp. This program prepares high school students for leadership roles while making them aware of their rights. Wow. I feel like I could use a program like that. I know. Or I, I could have used one. I feel like I knew nothing about nothing. Oh, no. When I, no, like when, you know, you, when you graduate, you yeah. don't know much about the world and society. Yeah, that a weird person. gap between like being like a child and an adult. It's even hard just to speak up when like, oh, you charged me something wrong on this bill, right? Yeah, it is hard for a lot of people. You feel bad. Yeah, never mind like your actual rights. Yeah, that is so true. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be a good program to uh, have and join. Absolutely. This program also taught them to have responsibility in their day-to-day action, as well as it told them about the privileges that they had as American citizens. Lovely. I love that. After Elizabeth met Daniel, the couple fell madly in love, and they quickly tied the knot on July of 2001. Daniel had always been a family man, nurturing dreams of fatherhood from a young age. Aww. His dreams of fatherhood came true after one year of marriage. When the couple welcomed their first child followed by a second in 2003, and a third one in 2004. Wow. They were quick with it. Yeah, they were. Bang, bang, bang. Literally. Pumping them out. (laughs) Were you proud of yourself for that one? (laughs) Pumping them out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fast forward to 2006. Daniel was on cloud nine with his three beautiful children by his side. He was presented with a lucrative job offer in Las Vegas. Ooh. Las Vegas. Sin City. Yeah. The prospect of a higher income to fuel their family's progress prompted Daniel and Elizabeth to pack their belongings and head on over to Sin City. Once there, they seamlessly delved into the city's political landscape, carving out their roles in that scene. Elizabeth experienced success as she was elected to the state senate, earning a distinction as one of the youngest to hold such a position. Wow, wow, She was wow. only 27. 
that is pretty young mm-hmm. holy hey yeah quite a accomplishment that uh j-r-o-t-c program really helped her out set her up for success damn straight with her striking looks and conservative demeanor the republican party saw her as a potential future star despite her relatively limited experience in this role they believed in her potential for success nice the demands of her senatorial role often took Elizabeth away from their family home, mainly stationed in Carson City. That was roughly 435 miles away from Las Vegas, though. That's pretty far. Yeah. That's actually pretty far. It's like hours away by driving. Yeah, I think I mapped it out. It's about seven, seven and a half hours driving. Whoa. I assume she'd would... probably fly, but. Yeah, but still. It's still far ways away to be from your family when you have three kids at home. Especially and little husband. young ones, right? Yeah. This circumstance thrusted Daniel into the role of primary caregiver. Makes sense. He embraced this responsibility wholeheartedly. Aw. He was a busy man, though. Not only was he looking after his three kids, but he also worked tirelessly as a family's breadwinner. During his downtime, he dedicated countless hours to strategizing for his wife's political campaign. What? I know. Did this man even sleep is what I'm wondering. (laughs) I don't think so. What a good guy. I know, right? Like, what a dream. No kidding. That would be so nice. What a devoted husband. Seriously, yeah. He was so devoted, in fact, that he took on the roles as website design, designer, auto dials, graphic design, and even extensive foot patrol. Wow. He was truly all in. His brilliance was evident, and Elizabeth reaped the benefit of his deep involvement in her career. No kidding. He's doing so much for her. It would be so nice to have that support when building your career. Yeah, and and also not looking like outwards. Outsourcing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have someone at home that you don't have to pay to do all of it for you, Mm -hmm. and someone that you trust. Exactly, right? Yeah. This fabulous family dynamic was regrettably short-lived, and on October 21st, 2011, Daniel found himself arrested for an alleged domestic dispute involving his wife, where he allegedly wouldn't let her leave the home and tried to force Elizabeth to have sex with him. Apparently, he was also touching her inappropriately. Hmm. This incident had occurred five days prior on October 16th, and a mere eight hours after his arrest, he was charged with coercion and battery and was also slapped with a charge of open and gross lewdness. A term that can be interpreted in two ways, either performing a sexual act in public or private spaces where the act can be observed or engaging in non-consensual sexual touching in public without penetration. This charge is most commonly encountered at nightclubs and bars, often involving individuals who have had a few too many drinks and engage in inappropriate touching. Right, like a guy walking up and slapping your ass because he's a little too drunk. Exactly, just think oh nice ass i've literally had that happen to me yeah on like multiple occasions yeah me too and one time i turned around like slap the guy across the face because you're like don't touch don't touch me motherfucker yeah you really you're like that was not cool inappropriate inappropriate and i did not want that which brings me back to the jrotc knowing our rights that's so true if i had known my rights I could have slapped that guy instead of with my hand. I could have slapped him with uh, some charges. Some charges. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. But that is an interesting point. It 
probably would be really, really good to know your rights. Well, exactly. And I wonder if the JROTC helped her with her confidence to, to follow through with that as well. I bet it did. I bet it did, Bevy. Now, sometimes what one person may perceive as innocent flirting, the other might find uncomfortable. Right. As you can see, there isn't a rigid definition for what constitutes this offense. Right, yeah. This ambiguity makes it both challenging and simple to make false accusations or results in misunderstandings. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. On the other hand, there are situations where the inappropriateness is unmistakably clear. In this case with Daniel and his wife, the charge of open and gross lewdness was shrouded in ambiguity. The police report unveiled contrasting narratives between Daniel and Elizabeth. Daniel accuses wife of having an extramarital affair, while Elizabeth acknowledged existing marital problems, not specifying what they are. Right. She stated that during an argument about the affair, Daniel touched her crotch over her pants. In contrast, Daniel claimed that in his upset state, he had touched her hip while on his knees. Hmm. Lots of ambiguity. I can see they have contrasting accounts of what's happening in their marriage and what happened that night. Exactly. Makes charges like that tough, right? It really does. So what is interesting, though, is that according to a political blogger named Chuck Muth, Elizabeth had, by the age of 24, accused others of sexual harassment or related incidents on multiple occasions which Hmm. adds a cloud of suspicion to elizabeth's accusation a little bit for sure what adds to the suspicion even more is that this charge is among the easiest to falsely level against someone because the law lacks a precise definition of what constitutes as an offense yeah and physical evidence isn't necessarily required for an arrest Mm. so it's truly kind of just taking someone's word for it yeah i feel in those scenarios it would be easy for someone to take advantage of that if they really knew their rights exactly Hmm. and i think coming back to elizabeth and these prior accusations some of them were done in regards to her political career i'm not saying that it didn't happen but they did help her advance it just adds so much suspicion to what she's saying exactly when you take all that into consideration whoa Mm -hmm. would she be above throwing someone under the bus to get ahead on that note also was she trying to tarnish Daniel's reputation and Mm -hmm. potentially add to any personal justification as to why she betrayed him. When you're in politics, having that reputation of cheating on your husband doesn't look good. That's true. Right? Very true. So how can she spin this potentially to make herself look good Mm. or be the victim? Yeah. I mean, it's nothing, it's not always the avenue you want to go down when women accuse men of sexual harassment or assault. But in this case, it's, it's a little bit with everything that leading up to it, it just seems a little hard to ignore that possibility. Yeah. Not saying that it's true, but we can't ignore that. Exactly. And that's actually what this blogger was kind of pointing out. 
yeah. is her history and now this accusation is it correlated to advance her future or somehow benefit her yeah 100 percent. while the gravity of such accusations should be acknowledged the ease with which false accusation can be made perhaps driven by motives of revenge bitterness or spite is noteworthy Throughout this whole ordeal, it became evident that Elizabeth was entangled in an affair with a co-worker named Tiger. And no, it was not Tiger Woods. Right. Just to be clear. Just to be clear. He doesn't need any more of that yeah. attention. He was just a realtor, and they came in contact throughout her political career. Wow. So at least now we know that her explanation of the marriage wasn't as accurate as Daniel's was. That's because right. she was having an affair on him. So given the political landscape they navigated, this revelation casts a significant shadow over her public image. In the realm of politics, projecting a clean and virtuous image is paramount to fostering trust and connection with constituents. As the truth of Elizabeth's allegations and the affair emerged, the couple found themselves on the path to divorce. Now, negotiations for the divorce began in the wake of Thanksgiving. What a terrible freaking time, first of all. No kidding. It's always so hard exactly. to go through something like that on the holidays. It ruins it. It really does. And on top of it, mm-hmm. being Thanksgiving, she is setting out to take full custody of their children. Oh, no. Nasty divorce, I'd say. That does seem like a nasty divorce. On top of it, Bev, her plan was to relocate her and her children to Alaska. That's Tiger's home state. Oh my gosh. What a dick. So keep in mind, Daniel lives in Las Vegas. That is so far away. That's so rude. I know. It is rude. Especially, I don't like that. I feel like that is not in your children's best interests to no, be away from their father like that. No. How could it be? Especially after you had a, like a affair mm-hmm. and then you're going to take your kids and go move in with the person you had the affair with. I think that's a freaking low blow. And I think we can circle back around to talking about, was this charge of Daniels set up by Elizabeth? Did she do this for a reason? To be able to move away and get sole custody? Because otherwise, why would the judge grant her sole custody unless she had a reason? Tarnishes his reputation, right? Exactly. Like, did she have that as a plan in her back pocket if she ever got caught? I wonder. So with Daniels' arrest, the open and gross lewdness charge loomed becoming a central issue in their custody dispute. Elizabeth's legal counsel even made false claims that Daniel had confessed to domestic violence. These allegations cast doubt on whether joint custody would be in the children's best interest. See, and it brings us back to her, did she have that as a motive? Because right now, if she was trying to do that, it's working. Exactly. This serves Elizabeth and Elizabeth only. Exactly. It's definitely not the children keeping them away from their loving dad. Right. And the judge has no other reason except for this freaking charge. Yeah. And being a responsible judge, he probably looks at him and be like, it is concerning. Yeah, of course. Because what judge wouldn't, right? Yep. And to add salt to this wound there, Bevy, Elizabeth proposed dropping the open and gross lewdness charges in exchange for Daniel's agreement to let her move the children to Alaska. What a little witch. What a little witch. This also is just adding some validity to our theory of her doing this for her own agenda as opposed to actually being harassed or assaulted by her husband yeah exactly damn 
I can't help it, Becky. I just can't help think she's a little witchy witch. Well, you know, you're obviously not the only one that thinks she's a little witchy witch. This guy wrote a whole blog about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, <laughs> maybe he's been scorned <laughs> by the same thing. Maybe he's been there, man. Been there. Done that. Spring light. Know the type. Yeah. Know the type. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> However, her plan shifted and she actually decided to move to Oregon where her mother lived. Hmm. And in 2012, Daniel admitted to misdemeanor counts of coercion and battery, which ultimately means he coerced his wife into staying in the home and wouldn't let her leave. And then the battery charge is defined at American common law as any unlawful or unwanted touching of the person of another by the aggressor. Okay, so he was a charge he was charged with coercion and battery, but ultimately the open and gross lewdness charge was dropped. Yes. This resulted in a 6-month probation sentence. And then in that same year, eventually Elizabeth moved to Alaska with her children. Oh, of course she did, hey? Of course she did. Oh my gosh. This transition deeply affected Daniel. Given his profound attachment to his kids, no kidding. To cope, he delved headlong into his career, leading him to relocate to Texas in 2013 after securing a new job. Now, Bev, skipping ahead to 2020, both Elizabeth and Daniel had returned to Sin City. Wow, talk about full circle. Seriously. So Elizabeth had remarried, and Daniel's career had brought him back. Hmm. He was thrilled to be living in the same city as his kids again. It has been a while. Like how many years? Eight years. Whoa. Yeah. He missed so much of his kids' like childhood. I know. That's insane. Yeah. So you can imagine he is freaking stoked. Yeah. This obviously made it much easier to see them more frequently. And because he was seeing his children more frequently, his concern was starting to grow for his daughter, Sierra. She had messaged him sharing her feelings of fear and discomfort about her current living situation with her mom. At that time, Sierra was bouncing back and forth, staying with her mom, staying with her dad, and she had firmly decided against going back to her mother's house. Daniel supported Sierra by letting her stay with him while he followed the proper legal channels, initiating a petition for custody for Sierra. During the court proceedings, Sierra expressed her desire to stay with her dad. However, Daniel was ordered to return her back to her mother's house. Unhappy with this decision, she ran away and returned to her dad's house once again. Simultaneously, as the new custody hearing unfolded, Child Protective Services conducted interviews with Sierra and other sources. The family court judge at that time grew deeply concerned as Sierra's accounts lacked consistency. The judge remarked, something else is going on with Sierra. I don't know yet what that is, whether it's parental alienation, human trafficking, or manipulation. And I don't know who at this point is to blame for that. Whoa. Clearly, there were underlying issues within this family dynamic, painting a really unhealthy picture. Right. Sierra, who was now 16, was actively engaged with a therapist to aid her during this challenging period. At her age, it's a common phase where kids yearn for independence, often testing boundaries and embracing a streak of rebellious behavior. Yes. And it was during this time that Sierra had struck up an online connection with an 18-year-old named Aaron Guerrero. Their interactions gradually evolved into a romantic relationship. It spanned from June to December of 2020. Daniel held a strong disapproval of Aaron, harboring significant concerns about their relationship. Matters 
really escalated when Daniel learned that the young couple intended to rob their families and run away together. I'm sorry, what? Rob their families, each of their families, and run away together. Yeah. That is not a healthy relationship. No, it's not. Jeez, how did he learn about that? Ooh, Daniel had a bunch of protective measures on her cell phone so that he could kind of check in to see what she's up to online. Well, yeah, because her behavior is a little bit concerning. Mm -hmm. The judge is worried about her. Exactly. She's not wanting to go to her mom's, etc. Yeah, so he said he wasn't snooping, but he did find these messages. Wow. Obviously, this was super concerning for him. So Daniel did what I think almost any father might do. He decided to intervene. He actually reached out to Aaron's family and he shared his concerns. And fortunately, his family felt the exact same way about this relationship. The consensus was quickly reached. Both families agreed that the relationship and the escapade plan needed to be terminated. And I think we both know Bev as a teenager, a 16-year-old teenager. You say, don't do this. What does that teen want to do? The opposite. Exactly. So, as we just said, Aaron and Sierra defied their families. They continued to secretly date without them knowing. Probably made them so angry. Oh my god. Like, rage, rage, rage. You can't tell me what to do. I love him. him. I love him. You can't separate me from him. Right? Oh, I've been there. This persistent defiance raised concern amongst Sierra's grandmother and cousins. Their unease deepened when Sierra was asked about her reaction when things didn't go her way. According to her grandmother, Christine, Sierra revealed an unsettling statement that she would get rid of her parents if things did not go the way she wanted them to. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That is insane right there. Just get rid of, I guess, you know, get rid of the problem. That's right. That's one way. Nip but... it in the bud. So, Yikes. Yeah. So skipping forward a bit to April 18th, Christine, Daniel's mother, found herself unable to reach him. This was rather unusual, especially as he had just returned from a business trip to Boston. So he'd be in contact with his mom. Yeah, like, I'm home. Hey, hey. Concerned by his silence, she reached out to her granddaughter, Sierra, who reassured her that her dad was quite all right and attributing the lack of communication to a malfunctioning cell phone, which she believed would be fixed by the following day. So wait to hear from him. No big deal. However, something about this explanation left Christine uneasy. Trusting her instincts, she decided that if she didn't hear from Daniel soon, she would involve the authorities. She also contacted one of Daniel's close friends, asking her to perform a welfare check on him if there was still no contact the following day. The next day arrived and Christine's attempt to contact her son failed. Yep. Completely unanswered. However, true to her promise, she got in touch with Peggy, who is Daniel's friend. And she did the welfare check. Exactly. Okay. She asked a friend to go with her just because the whole situation was a little weird. Right. So she didn't want to go to a unsafe situation, potentially. Yeah. So she invited her friend along to check up on Daniel. Exactly. Now, upon arriving at his residence, they observed the 
an unlocked door and a pervasive cloud of smoke throughout the house. Navigating through the haze, they ventured into the into the garage where they stumbled upon a charred body. <gasps> this grim discovery prompted Peggy's friend to contact the police immediately. Well, no shit. Obviously, like, right? What the fudge, Becky? I know. Initially, there was confusion about who the charred body was. They thought it was Sierra. But once the investigation moved along a little further, it was confirmed that it was Daniel. Oh my gosh. And this unfortunate tragedy now explains his lack of responsiveness and communication with his family. No kidding. I could only imagine how charred his body was if they did not know who it was. Yeah, unrecognizable. That would be so tough to find. Exactly. I couldn't imagine finding a body. And And now Sierra's sketchy as fuck because... Why did you tell your grandma that it was a phone malfunction and that he's fine when his charred body is hanging in a garage? Why would you tell your grandma that? Daniel's body had suffered such extensive burns that both the police and EMS struggled to determine its gender. Following an autopsy, the cause of death was revealed to be sharp force injury, with approximately 70 wounds documented on his body. Shockingly, More than half of those wounds were concentrated around his neck, head, and shoulders. My gosh. This brutally left no room for doubt. The attack was vicious and aimed at causing maximum harm. Or torture. Or torture. overkill, right? It definitely is overkill. Yeah, you stab someone how many times around their head and their chest, and then you burn them to a crisp. Like, whoever that is must be pretty angry with him it does sound that way hmm now surviving over 35 stab wounds targeting the upper body is completely implausible like we just said yeah a particularly gruesome detail emerged one of his wrists had been partially dismembered moreover the absence of soot in daniel's lungs unequivocally indicated that he had succumbed to his injuries before the fire was ignited Piecing together the evidence, the police inferred that Daniel had been situated on the living room couch during the initial assault. Strangely, there was no sign of forced entry. In an unexpected twist, the key was actually discovered in the front door lock, raising even more questions about the events that transpired. Or clarifying them. (laughs) As the police meticulously combed through the residence, a disturbing picture began to take shape. They stumbled upon a collection of mops, bleach, and various other cleaning agents distributed through the house. Adding to the unsettling scene, a table saw, some blades, and a chainsaw were discovered in different areas of the property. Whoa. Amid the search, several receipts came to light, including one from a bank. Surveillance footage from the bank revealed a crucial detail on April 8th. Sierra was behind the wheel of Daniel's car, And in a move that raised eyebrows, she withdrew approximately $600. What intensified the situation was the presence of her boyfriend, Aaron Guerrero, in the passenger seat. Yeah. A person with whom she was explicitly advised not to associate with. By Daniel, no less. Exactly. I think that alone, like, never mind the other evidence, that kind of shows where we're going with this. Yeah. The remaining two receipts that were found led to a Home Depot and a Winco Foods. 
Surveillance footage from Home Depot captured Aaron purchasing saw blades and lighter fluid. Oh, no. Oh, yes. So these were found within the house. And around 2.50 p.m. on April 8th, Sierra was captured on camera buying multiple bottles of bleach from Winco. So they're both being caught on cameras buying the items that are found in the house. Looking a little sketchy. Yeah, it's like not even that they're just buying the items. It's what they're buying. That is insane. There was no mystery to this to this at all no (laughs) they think they created this great plan and they're leaving trails everywhere they go yeah yeah why don't you get rid of the receipt idiot it reminds me of good girls which what i'm watching right now the netflix series oh yeah such shitty criminals (laughs) like if you're gonna do some criminal activity like do it better at least don't make the foolish mistakes but i guess when you're Committing a horrific murder such as this, I mean... Probably not thinking completely level-headed. Ain't that the truth? Remarkably, it seems that the youth and naivety of this couple played a role, as they seemingly made minimal efforts to conceal their actions like we just said. Yeah. Their trail was laid out almost like a textbook investigation. Yeah. Find the receipt, link the items for the murder... To the person buying them at the store, find the evidence at the murder scene, like textbook. Exactly, right? Yeah. The evidence was compelling. The body found in the house, the receipts, the tools, and the cleaning supplies. Moreover, the places they obtained these items had surveillance, making it a very straightforward task for law enforcement to trace their steps and put those puzzle pieces together. Despite glaring evidence, the couple managed to escape in Daniel's Nissan Altima. This triggered a nationwide search. On April 9th, arrest warrants were issued for Sierra Halseth and Aaron Guerrero. They were disseminated to multiple police departments across various jurisdictions as the hunt for the pair intensified. On April 13th, Sierra and Aaron were found in Salt Lake City. Interestingly, they were located on a bus where they were asked for tickets that they hadn't purchased. The request for their IDs intended for ticket processing, led the police to discover the existing warrant for their arrest. Genius. Wow. Don't make silly mistakes if you don't want to get caught. Should have just paid for your tickets. Should have just paid for your tickets. Little hooligans. I'm very happy that they didn't. Mm -hmm. Consequently, they were taken into custody and returned to Las Vegas. The bus surveillance footage revealed Sierra and Aaron engaging in a passionate makeout session. Ew. They are just like living their best life, don't care about what they did. Ugh. That's so appalling. I can't even handle that. Especially for Sierra. It's her dad. It's her freaking dad. What are you doing making out with this guy after like what you just did? Ew. Clearly unaffected by guilt or remorse. No doubt. Bev, when the authorities apprehended them, they found a cell phone in their possession. As a part of a thorough investigation, the contents of this phone were downloaded, and what it revealed was almost as disturbing as the murder itself. Amid the investigation, police unearthed a video created by the couple. The recording initiates with them in an embrace on the ground. Aaron announces, welcome back to our YouTube channel, day three after murdering somebody. 
Ew. Our YouTube channel. They're trying to be YouTubers. Maybe. Murderous YouTubers. Mm. Well, Sierra, I think she was a little shocked with this as well, but clearly not that phased. Mm-hmm. She says, whoa, followed by giggles, cautioning, don't put that on camera. Uh, what do we say to that? What do Ew. I say? Ew. Dickhead. Aaron retorts confidently, it was worth it. As he pulls Sierra closer, planting a kiss on her head, Sierra contributes, and we had sex a lot today. Aaron that re- is so weird. Ew, like, grossy gross. And then Aaron responds, get this, this is what is just fucking mental. Payment for doing it. And they just seem like this lovey-dovey couple talking about it like, oh, I just paid you to, like, move my furniture. Like, that's how casual it was. And they're getting off on it. It's like you just killed your dad and you're boasting about, oh, now dad's dead. We're having sex so much. Having Weird. the time of our lives now that he's out of the picture. Oh, So distasteful. Yes, it was, Bev. Now, during the investigation, the couple's DNA evidence was discovered. Notably, two knives were recovered, one carrying Sierra's DNA and the other bearing Aaron's. Both knives were used in the act of stabbing Daniel. They were doing it at the same time, probably. Yep, they were They were getting their jollies off, killing her That makes the sense why time. there's like 70. Just yeah. Just like both of them going wah, 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 wah. Originally, their intention was to dismember Sierra's father after the stabbing. However, that conversation with her grandmother led them to alter their plan in a panic. This prompted the couple to shift their approach, ultimately leading them to set fire to the house and Daniel. Okay. They probably felt like they didn't have as much time, potentially. I Yeah, they were scared that someone was going to stop by, whether it was a police or welfare check right. by a friend. So they thought burning was the best option. Yeah. Thank God for Daniel's mother. That right? mother intuition. Exactly. The teenagers claimed their motive was because Daniel was physically abusing Sierra, while the whole family strongly maintains this was not the case. Sierra Halseth addressed the judge, reading a letter detailing multiple instances of alleged sexual physical abuse and harassment from her father. She also asserted that he pushed her to drink alcohol and even labeled him as a drug addict and pedophile. Wow. It's like pissing on his grave right there. Yeah, seriously, right? Mm -hmm. In one of Elizabeth's interviews about her daughter, said she strongly believes what her daughter is saying about all this. Of course she does. Of course Elizabeth does. Mm -hmm. It's also weird that Sierra would keep running away back to her dad's house. If she was getting abused. I know that makes no sense. The court literally put her in a safe place. Yeah, if that was... And you kept going back. That's just twisted. It's so unbelievable. It's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Don't buy it for a second. And honestly, all of this makes me just think of Elizabeth as well and like, not the best light. For sure. I and guess it- you want to believe your daughter, but at the same time, the evidence is so overwhelmingly indicating that your daughter did this as a malicious attack to get her way so i don't understand you can still love your daughter Mm -hmm. despite but you saying you strongly believe what she's saying it just feels sad to me i feel so upset that daniel's whole reputation from these two women that were supposed to be like the closest to him 
got just like they shattered it you know they shattered his reputation the two women that were supposed to be just like his world Mm -hmm. so sierra's defense attorney informed the las vegas review journal that the evidence in this case did not permit him to corroborate all of sierra's claims about her father yeah it's the first time anyone's hearing about it at all period so there's no physical evidence stating anything yeah In his statement to the court, Guerrero expressed remorse for his role in Daniel's death, apologizing and highlighting that he believed Daniel did not deserve to pass away in such a horrific manner. Prior to the murder, Aaron revealed that he had been having mental health issues and was taking medication. However, he had stopped taking this medication, and in an interview with 8 News, he admitted to pretending to take his medication, while at the same time he was using LSD, which he had purchased online. Whoa. He noted that the combination of drug use and his fragile mental state only exacerbated his condition. Well, no kidding. You're taking a psychedelic drug, LSD, when you, like, in lieu of medication for your mental health. That seems like a terrible idea, like, only to make matters worse, I would think. Seriously, right? My God. Now, Bev, in May of 2022... Both Sierra and Aaron entered guilty pleas for the murder of Daniel. Thank God. Additionally, they pleaded guilty to a range of other charges encompassing conspiracy to commit murder, robbery, arson, and four counts of fraudulent use of credit or debit cards. As a result, they were sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 22 years. They were each ordered to pay $5,000 in restitution as well. It's worth noting that Sierra had been charged as an adult, though the death penalty was not an option due to her being under 18 at that time. That's okay for me. I feel like it's okay if you spend the rest of your life in prison and don't die. Absolutely. I'd almost rather you stay in prison and just deal with that. Deal with that. Absolutely. Because what you did was absolutely disgusting to your father. And I mean, I do feel bad if he was actually abusing her, but there are different ways to approach that. And it seems like you didn't actually need to have contact with him at all. So it does just seem a little pointless regardless. Yeah, it's just it was completely senseless. Yeah, it was a senseless death. My God. And for anyone out there, murder is not the answer. It is worse off for you if you do that. Yeah, unless it's like you are literally protecting yourself in a life or death situation. Don't do it. Don't do it. You screw yourself over and you end someone's life. Don't do it. Does no one any good. All right, Bev, that's all I got for you today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. 